Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Architecture, Business and Design. Thank you so much for joining us. Today we have a special guest, Ed Shim. He is a director, a principal at HLW and a managing director at the New York office. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Very excited to have you. So I guess we can start by breaking down what your background is and how you got into architecture. Sure. Um, Well, so I had an interest in architecture when I was fairly young um, and basically took small steps very early on, even in high school, just kind of um, poking my interest in it. Actually, there was an architecture sort of class offered in high school where I went to school in, in Long Island. And that was when I started really gaining interest in it. Applied to a whole bunch of schools, mm-hmm. ended up going to Carnegie Mellon University out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Five-year program there. Once I left there, I had a burning desire to come back to New York, which is where I was born and raised. I just have a, an affinity for just the active lifestyle and the culture, diversity, and just really the energy of, of New York City. Brought myself back here and was able to land the job fairly quickly back way back <laughs> and uh, essentially um, you know grew my career over the last 20 plus years mm-hmm. and now I've been with HLW for the last 13. So you didn't start at HLW? No I did not. I actually started out my career uh, was given the sort of the real fortunate experience to have met Joan Blumenfeld um, then she was uh, one of the, the leaders at Swanky Hayden Connell that was back in 1998. She was the one who first gave me my first opportunity, my first job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Swanky and Connell is no longer around, unfortunately. But that was the firm that I started out my career. Um, took a few steps in between HLW and worked at a small firm, worked at an urban design firm. Uh, also worked for a fairly well-renowned architecture firm as well in Pay Partnership, which is I am Pay's two sons, Didi and Sandy. Worked there for a little bit and then ultimately ended up at HLW around 2005. Stuck with it ever since mm-hmm. and now one of the managing directors of, of the New York office. So what would you say set you apart? I'm sure a lot of people that want to be architects dream of being a managing director of an entire, <laughs> such a big firm. I mean, this firm is huge. Offices for Google, sure. YouTube, NASA. What do you think set you apart from from, from the crowd? Well, it, to be honest, um, it wasn't a, a personal goal of mine to to re- really reach the um, uh, this position. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really, when they come into this as a career, um, really has sort of a, a that specific goal. I think what we all really aspire to be are, are great designers and great architects. And as, as you know, as that is where our passion lies. So I think, you know, the, the, the role of a, a managing director really entails a lot more than just um, design and the practice of architecture. There's obviously a lot of management aspects to it. How, how I've gotten into this role, I think, Really, it just it, it was just an evolution of sort of where I started out my 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 career with focusing on design, but I also had a, a keen interest in the technical aspects of architecture and, and and knowing how to put buildings together and and really understanding the constructability of buildings and and so balancing those two elements, which really are the two key elements to being a great architect is really what drove me to establish a good sort of foundation for me to be able to speak well and also just have great synergies with not just clients but 
contractors and consultants and and other people within the industry. That good balance ultimately leads to good business development skills, which I, I honestly did not even think of when I was going into this sort of uh, role of having more exposure with people in general. And I think that ultimately grow, grew over the years and being able to talk to the right people and surround yourself with good sort of mentors to be able to nurture you along in that process really helped me to be exposed to a lot more opportunities and thus win over new clients and, and bring, in, um, bring in revenue into the firm that I never ever dreamed of. So I think that's... In my um, philosophy and plan for life is to be surrounded by very smart people because it, it rubs off, right? I think that's like a indirect but very important key to become successful. I think in any field, is try to surround yourself by the best people and the right environments where the game changers are, are discussing ideas. Do you yeah. think that that's a huge? Yeah, a, absolutely. And I think it's it's almost imperative. Um, for one to recognize at any given point in their career that you, you don't know everything, that you, you probably are always learning throughout this process. Mm-hmm. And I even stress even to this day to some of our, our younger staff in the office that, you know, we, we continue to learn in, in every aspect of the business. It doesn't matter if you've been in the field for a year or if you've been in the field for 20 years, there's always a learning curve. And unfortunately, this practice is so complicated that one would would find it very hard to be able to say that they've completely mastered it. And I, I think that the more you stay humble in the ways in which you carry yourself and to be able to always realize that to surround your people with those that are, are potentially smarter than you, I think those are the good leaders that will be able to essentially raise the bar of any firm that they're a part of. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast, because I wanted to surround myself with the best people Mm. in the field to be able to learn. And it's worked so far. I mean, we went from, when we originally started, we were doing small cast, metal casting, small things, you know, doorknobs. We're now working samples for big hotel projects, which is very things that only happened because I, we surrounded ourselves with the right people. We didn't stay within what we already knew. Sure. So yeah, I, I'm glad you shared that because I, I agree 100. percent So what are you currently working on at HLW that you can tell us about? I'm sure. Well, right now, large body of, of my work is new construction. Mm-hmm. I'm primarily uh, responsible for many of the the new building work that's going up here in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. That's where our our primary focus is. That's not to say that we don't do projects elsewhere around the world. Obviously, we're a global company. We also have other offices within the States. But our focus um, primarily here, as it relates to my responsibility, is is making sure that our our profile with base building and HLW has a very long-standing reputation for ground up construction, that that is maintained and if not enhanced over the years. And I, I have to say that right now we're responsible for more than a handful of high rise residential buildings that are going up in, particularly in the Jersey City area across the Hudson River. We've already built the few that have been part of the, the ever changing skyline, and we're still in the midst of designing some as we speak. I think over the last few months in particular, I've also carried myself into the interiors practice as well, 
again, the desire to balance myself across not just new ground up work, but also mm -hmm. interiors. And I think that right now, one of the most exciting projects I'm, I'm a part of, which I can't speak too much about, is a brand experience center for a confidential client mm -hmm. in, in Manhattan. Um, so, you know, details of that will be revealed as project progresses. Um, that's one of the more exciting projects I'm a part of, as well as um, working on a small project for a not-for-profit organization. So really the desire and really our passion and our strength at HLW is uh, as a firm that's been around for 130 plus years, having the exposure and the ability to be in front of opportunities of many different building types and many different client types have kept us diverse and also have kept us very interested in all the different types of works that we do. So as, as managing director of, of New York, does that mean that you are somewhat overseeing everything that happens with, with HLW in New York? Yeah, I, there are two um, senior managing partners in the organization, mm -hmm. um, and I report directly to them. Mm -hmm. um, but as the managing director of the New York office, I am responsible for the, the health, financial health of the New York office, mm -hmm. as well as the making sure that, you know, just we as a we as an organization just are able to adapt and really be one of the leaders and being at the forefront of the industry in regards to design and also just as a business. So it's not just me. Um, I'd say with any organization, it's no, it's never about one particular person. You know, we're a big firm. We're a, a big office in New York. New York is our corporate headquarters. We have about a hundred and about 150, 160 employees in the New York office. Within that office, there's about eight or so partners and principals as well, which constitutes the management team that I work closely with. Mm -hmm. uh, we meet regularly every week and we strategize, we discuss, we, 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 we talk about all sorts of things that and challenges that we face every week. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that particular group that sort of keeps us going and really is, is what constitutes the real, the firm leadership in the New York office. So me, we just implemented that here at, at our company, is meeting every morning before the day starts because if we're making a chandelier, it's not just one person. Everyone has to be involved at one, at one point or another. So we are getting much more efficient at coordinating the day in, in regards to when everyone's communicating. Yeah. Now, do you do hiring as well for, for the company? Well, I, I don't do the direct hiring anymore, but you know, I am very um, part of the recruiting discussion. I get an, uh, almost a weekly update now at mm -hmm. this point. We, you know, within the New York office, we actually are divided up into three studios and each studio has a studio director. And so between them and the HR, we sort of communicate fairly well as far as what our needs are and where our status is with recruiting. In that regard, I, I'm very involved. I, you know, I approve every hire that comes in. We review each candidate's uh, sort of qualifications and, and whatnot. So do they do, um, I've been reading a lot about uh, some hedge fund companies in New York City that do personality tests. Mm -hmm. They make people do, I think it's Myers, Meyer Briggs mm -hmm. personality tests. And, and they, they're doing hiring not on instinct, but on yeah. what this, how this person scored on narcissism sure. or altruism or whatever. Do you, do they tell that you being such a big firm resort to? No, we don't, we don't test specifically for that. I, mm -hmm. That That is an underlying sort of, um, you know, sort of factor that 
really it plays into the interviewing process. I mean, you know, when when I when I interviewed personally back um, back in the day, it, it was almost the first thing that I looked for when we look at candidates that potentially could work for us. It wasn't so much about their experience. It wasn't so much about the number of years they've been in the industry, because a lot of that is hard to qualify. Um, you know, that's not to say that everybody you know, misrepresents themselves on resumes and whatnot. But, you know, for us, it's um, because it's such a, a sort of a collaborative process when it comes to projects, as you were referring to, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always about one person when it comes to a project. You know, small projects, maybe, you know, there is one or two people that maybe do the entire project themselves. Mm-hmm. But rarely when you're working on big projects, it's about a team of people. So you always have to take it with a little grain of salt as to what they say they were a part of or what mm-hmm. they actually worked on. So a lot of times, I think what drives us um, over the top is, and what is that distinguishing factor with every candidate is, you know, what's that personality like? Is this a person that can potentially lead in some regard? Is that a person that could potentially be in front of a client? One day, do they have the personality to be sort of well balanced and and understanding how to sort of give and take and communicate well and mm-hmm. listen well? So those are so those are some of the things you know. And I, I can honestly say that today, uh, the firm is comprised of you know 150, 160 personalities within the New York office that work very very well together. I mean, if you were to ask any employee in our office today. What's the number one thing about HW? The, the probably the most common answer will be the people in the office. I mean, I think we're very proud and prideful of sort of the, the team of people that we've put together over the years. Yeah, I I never thought about these things before coming into the this this world because we also have employees that are great at teaching other people what what to do. Mm. And and so they're great in a management position because they don't mind, hey, come over here, you don't mind. Uh, I can help you do this better. And then there's people that, we have people that don't want to talk to other people. They just want to be told what to do for the day. They put their headphones in and they get yeah. it done. And so understanding those personalities is like, if, if we didn't, nothing would ever get done. Sure. The, people's personality seems to be set in stone. Yeah. <laughs> in my experience, and the it, they're a lot happier and a lot more productive when, when they're in the right place. So that, that's been huge. Um, so do you have, I asked John last week or two weeks ago, John Mack, what, what vision he had for HLW or for, and he said, well, um, it's not really my, there's a lot of, a lot of people that make these decisions. So sure. it's not an individual thing. But do you have like a, a vision of what you would like New York City to look like or what direction you would like it to move in in terms of design? I think, you know, what what that vision is, is obviously different amongst individuals and amongst the different competing firms within the industry. I think that's the exciting part about it all is that there is no one cohesive vision amongst designers and firms you know i mean every firm has a different vision and and mission and goals and and values i think that a lot of us really even within the firm have different aspiring goals as well and my partner put it probably the best way it's 
you know, we pride ourselves in understanding what is our collective vision for the firm. And so I think with the variety of architecture firms that are and interior design firms that are out there, and that number seems to be growing by the year with many, many different startups as well. This isn't about just the the big firms anymore. This is about also the little firms that are competing with us. And to us, it's really, um, no matter how you spin it, the, the thing we value the most is that our projects are very specific to the client's needs mm-hmm. and their vision as well. So when you when you sort of combine that with our capabilities and, and our skill set as to how to execute that vision, no project will ever look no two projects will ever look alike. Yeah. Um, so I think it's hard to say that there is one sort of collective vision for the city. I think there's a lot that plays into that the ever so changing technology that also drives the design process mm-hmm. is is becoming more enhanced um, by the day. So I think also depending on how that technology is able to open up doors for us and our creativity is also going to play into that as well. Are there any technologies in the field that, are, that you are excited about and you emerging? I know um, someone mentioned BIM. Yeah. That, that's pretty exciting. Is there yeah. anything you're excited about? Yeah. Well, you know, BIM, uh, BIM has been around for, for many years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were one of the, I think, the first firms back in 2008, 2009, uh, right before the recession hit, that um, we started, you know, toying with the idea of Revit. And, and um, it began back then for us. And we're, we're now one of the firms that solely uses Revit. Um, mm-hmm. But BIM isn't uh, just Revit. BIM, the BIM is a, a lot of different things that, uh, today. And I think one of the things that we're, we're looking at and what excites us about the technology is just sort of the different platforms that are allowing us to do more computational design, I think is, is something that we're, we're interested in uh, more um, because efficiency and um, the speed at which we're working is, is enabled by all these different technologies. But it also will, it's an interesting moment right now where that, how to, how, to, how to utilize that in a way that doesn't essentially design for us, but how do we enhance our design capabilities with it? We don't ever want technology to do the thinking for us, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're probably going to be extinct in <laughs> the next five to 10 years. But how do, we, how do we still, you know, make sure that our values and the way in which we think and using those instincts can be sort of um, supplemented with the, the power of technology. There's not one particular platform that I want to speak to about today, but I think there's so many different sort of methodologies that we're looking into now that's probably going to uh, enhance our design process and make things a bit more efficient. That's great. By the way, if anyone's hearing any background noise, it's because we are literally a metal fabrication shop, so there's people working on the other side, which I think... I mean, it's a little annoying, but it's also so cool that we're we're combining the high levels of architecture with the ground level where some of this stuff gets made. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a cool feature. So just know they're making something back there. That's yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any books that have influenced you that, or a favorite book that you read? It doesn't have to be business. One of the things um, that I like to do is, you know, I, I, I do a lot of walking between where I arrive uh, mm-hmm. to go to work and, 
as far as my commute daily is into Penn Station. I, I've completely given up in riding subways, uh, the mm -hmm. New York City subways, and essentially for my own health and, and well-being, decided that I would walk to our office, which is located near Union Square, every morning and every evening. It, it, it allows me to prepare mentally as I go to work and also allows me to decompress from my day as I walk back from work. In doing that, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and other things of that nature a lot of um, motivational sort of speeches and videos. And um, it, it's something that um, might seem a little silly or trivial, but it sort of helps me sort of get get prepared mentally to really face the, the tasks and the challenges that are up ahead. And, you know, every, any given day, you just don't know what you're going to be up against. And, and it, it's important for me to just kind of listen in and keep those brainwaves going and really... Um, trying to understand what can I equip myself with as far as um, inspirational talks or things like that. So that's that's something that I, I do regularly. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I've been to Tony Robbins seminars. I've read mm -hmm. so many books. I, I listen to motivational tapes as well because I guess being in business or working in a large business is like uh, Gary Vee put it, which is almost like a motivational speaker. He said his job, he owns a huge company, but he's when he has to put his job description, he just puts firefighter. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. when he gets to work, that's all he does, just yeah. problems, putting that fire. But if you have like, a, I think it's like a motivational tapes or books, it's almost like a philosophy of, yeah. I know I have problems, but it's exciting and I'm going to figure it out. And that's the juice of life. And it was very, I love that you said that. That's great. I think the more... Um, you know, the more you get into an elevated position where you're in the management aspect of, of a firm, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately and fortunately, you're dealing a lot with people day in and day out. And, and, and actually, that is a, a part of uh, who I am and sort of what I love to do is working with people. But managing people, I think, within the firm and also just managing clients and managing consultants and project managers, I think those... Those are all just elements and you're talking about philosophies and, you know, I think those those things are really important. How to, how to keep us a, a calm demeanor despite the rapid pace of our environment and, mm -hmm. and everything that goes on with emails and social media and all that stuff. It's important to sort of keep a good foundation in you and, and be able to thrive upon that. Yeah. So one thing everybody is going to have to do at some point in interior designers architects, project managers, you're going to have to deal with contractors, whether metal shop, woodworkers, and I've heard some horror stories, like horror stories in, in those dynamics. Are there any tips that you have for those relationships? The, the better you do with your drawings, the less issues you're going to have. That's obviously the, the number oh. one thing. And I, I, I'm a big advocate of going out into the field mm -hmm. and, and just really being able to see um, sort of the process <coughs> as well as the end result um you know you don't you don't just go to a project when it's all polished and done uh, and ready for photography uh, or a walkthrough and learn from that you know the learning happens during construction the learning happens the minute you go out into the field and here 
that the detail that you've drawn doesn't quite work, or there are field conditions that prevent you from executing the detail that were put into place. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the true learning experience to me. And it wasn't until I did that personally, back in, in the early days of my career, is when I started to realize that every single line you put on paper essentially has a dollar value to it. It wasn't always just about sort of line on the drawing, fulfilling a design intent. Knowing and how to balance that understanding is important for you to become a, a well-rounded architect. I think, you know, do your job up front well, and I think all of those other issues down the line will seem to go away. Yeah, I'm so glad that's, that's a huge part for us is getting good drawings because we'll do, we'll try to communicate, but sometimes, you know, I, we, we don't mind working with a concept and trying to figure out the physics behind it. But we, we sometimes tell our clients, we can help you, but we can't change the laws of physics. We, you know, if you're going to make a huge table with thin aluminum, it's going to be wobbly. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Um, yeah. What Was there a moment in your career, and I ask this to everybody because in, in the, the high-level position, it must be amazing. Is there a level in your career when you said, oh my God, this is more than I can chew, or wow, I made it. This is the biggest project I've ever worked on. Yeah. There are a lot of moments that you face in life. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're like five years into the industry or 20 years into the industry, you'll always encounter those situations. I, I remember back when I was with a, with a very small firm called UM Bibliowigs that, you know, here we are, a 10 person firm, and we were uh, tasked to do. A, I believe it was a eight-story building for a new dance company called Alvinelli American Dance Theater. And um, back in the day, um, I was probably two years, two and a half years into my career, never really put a, a set of drawings together completely on my own. Uh, it was always under the mentorship or the tutelage of someone rather senior at my prior firm. Mm-hmm. And, and so here we were tasked, myself and another colleague of mine who had roughly the same years of experience and um, I, I remember just kind of constantly asking myself are we ready to do this is this something that we're going to be able to to handle you know 15 20 years later you know when a client came to us and gave us a project that was going to be a 70-story residential tower and HLW probably never did a tower of that magnitude as far as multifamily residential or probably in a, even in any other sector. And I was leading that effort. It was, it was a, a monumental task and a very overwhelming sort of experience mm-hmm. going into it. But, you know, I think part of uh, how you build confidence is really knowing that it's a team of people that work on it together, including the client. And we work with a lot of educated and, and smart developers, obviously. So that, that sort of helped me get over that hurdle and then today I can sit back and and say that we have now constructed a a 70 70 story building across the river that is um, very iconic and it was working with a design firm called Concrete in Amsterdam but nevertheless to execute a project of that magnitude was a a very uh, successful feat. So, you know, I, I think once you start overcoming some of these challenges 
as far as are, are we able going are we going to be able to accomplish this it starts to help build your confidence more and more and more it's interesting i think it all comes back to philosophy tony robbins says that success in, in business or anything is 80% psychology 20% strategy because there are some brilliant people who can't fight their way out of paper bag because yeah. their whole mentality is i can't i don't want to take the risk it's, you know so i have uh, another final question that's more of a selfish question because um, you mentioned that you're into getting yourself ready for the day. You listen, you read books, you listen to, to uh, motivational speeches or just to get ready. I've noticed that a lot of people do that, but they create a, a false sense of reality where they think everyone's a good person. They think there's no such thing as problems. And, and so they kind of like keep hitting a wall mm-hmm. in life because they're not facing that there are people you're going to have to fire eventually. Yeah. There are problems you're going to have to handle, and it, and it is a problem. There's no positive spin to it. It's a problem. It has to be handled. You can be a you know a, in a positive attitude about it, but it has to be handled. Do you find that the same? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there, there, look, there's no there's no correct answer or solution to any of this as far as you know what will help anyone overcome this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I take it day by day, and quite honestly. You know, the ultimate sort of comfort I have is that, you know, as long as I'm, I'm, I'm myself and I can be who I am and, and knowing how to balance the, the challenges in front of you, that's the important thing. No one is to say that I'm, I'm better than the person next to me or, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's for me and, and most people don't know this about me, but, you know, I, I, I have a, I come from a family of, of, of really strong faith and that faith is part of who I am. Uh, keeps me well balanced. Also helps me to sort of see things in a different light. Um, I try not to dwell on the negative. I always try to make sure that there's a sort of a reason for everything and, and sort of, you know, take it as it comes. And as long as you're able to make educated and informed decisions with all of the information at hand, that's, that's the best that you can do. And I think that knowing how to manage um, people's feelings and people's expectations Mm -hmm. and as long as you're monitoring that and managing that well you'll be okay Mm -hmm. this too shall pass in case of a bad situation um do you um where can people reach out to you or learn more about you or the projects that you're working on so yeah no i mean you know obviously we have a a website Mm -hmm. uh, www.hlw.com you know our work is is shown there and and we're actually in the process of uh, changing up our our website and should be rolled out in the coming months i also have an instagram account um so people can reach me there we'll put a link to that yeah no problem Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean that's probably the best way to to really um grab hold of me Great. Guys, this is, again, Ed Shim, Principal and Managing Director at HLW here in New York. This is huge. We are super grateful to have you here. Again, this is a metal fabrication shop. It's amazing to be able to have these conversations and kind of bring the worlds together. We're super lucky to do this. Um, if you're just getting started in the field, you should look into him and HLW. You can learn a lot. Like you said, mentors, um, good philosophies, psychology will get you farther than the strategy, obviously you need the strategy, but if you're an architect, you probably already have that. So we're super grateful, Ed. Yeah. Really amazing. Yeah. Really is amazing that you guys are here and uh, make sure you check out this episode in full.